0: We want to continue in our thoughts uh, along the theme of our lesson entitled Fundamentals of Faith and I do hope that we have been fundamental uh, foundational in the things that we've looked, about, uh, looked at uh, because without a foundation no building uh, will be able to stand and so as we try to implement the things, the commands of God uh, in our lives it is imperative that we have a foundation and so I especially have appreciated uh, the theme of and the allowance of you in me being able to expound upon the things that I believe to be important uh in in light of this i I tell you I must uh reiterate the sentiment of brother cody uh enjoyed him i have just enjoyed myself uh with all of you uh, I appreciate you letting myself and my wife uh come into your life, and I appreciate you allowing us to be ourselves uh and not have to uh... put up a front now of course we don't want to be phony uh... but sometimes we have to be limited in how we present ourselves because of people's limitation in how they present themselves uh... but you have not been that way and so i appreciate the senses of humor Uh, But more importantly, the serious conversations that we've had regarding the will and the word of God. Uh, And so uh, our sentiments exactly uh, as well, rather, we'll have more to say about that tomorrow. I want to talk this morning again uh, about a lesson that I believe is foundational. uh, Something that is important for us to to realize, and that is, of course, Christ-centered Christianity. Now this is a part of a series actually that I had done uh, but I've decided not to do uh, the self-centered Christianity. I, I think we've kind of explored a lot of the things that we'll say about that but as you look at this lesson, as we examine this lesson, just think of self-centered Christianity and the opposite of the things that we'll be able to talk about uh, uh, this morning. I wanted to concentrate on what's right uh, in this particular lesson are not necessarily what's wrong. And so, Christ-centered Christianity is going to be the opposite of what we see here regarding self-centered Christianity. Now, as we look at uh, Christ-centered Christianity, there are three areas I want us to concentrate on. Uh, the Christ-centered identity that we must have and possess if we're going to practice Christ-centered Christianity. We must also look at uh, a Christ-centered view of the world if we're going to practice Christ-centered Christianity. And finally, we must have a Christ-centered way of life if we're going to practice Christ-centered Christianity. Now, regarding our first point, Christ-centered identity, who am I? Who am I? Now I could say from an earthly standpoint, my name is Harold Carswell Jr., I am the husband, uh, remember what I talked about yesterday with that, Uh, the husband of Countess uh, Carswell, formerly Countess Woody, and no, I'm not a husband of hers, I am the husband uh, of Countess uh, Woody, uh, formerly Countess Woody, so uh, we have those type of identifications. We have uh, uh, social security numbers, all those various things, and even from a spiritual standpoint we may be brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and and all those various things but truly who am i who am i now when we look at mark chapter 12 and verse 16 we are reminded of an incident in the life of our lord as a matter of fact after uh the fulfillment of of christ uh, uh, uh commandments or promise rather from the father and we see this event in matthew I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12 and verse 16. Mark states, And they brought it, and he said unto him, Whose is this image and superscription? Now this is Jesus Christ. Of course we find the parallel in Matthew chapter 22 when he is confronting the Jewish sects. The Jewish denominations, of course, these are the Herodians here, who have adopted a, a Greek culture as far as their way of life, but yet they still profess to be Jews. Uh, they were the cultural Jews of the day, the societal Jews of the day, those who had conformed uh, to what Greek culture presented. And, of course, they would bring a coin to Jesus, and the, the idea was about... Uh, 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 should they pay taxes and and of course they're trying to test Jesus and tempt him and Jesus Christ says this about about their hypocrisy whose is this image and superscription and they said unto him Caesar's and Jesus answered and said render to Caesar therefore the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God now What inscription do we wear upon us each and every day? Now, they were trying to tempt Jesus and test Him, but Jesus Christ would give a point. Now, don't use this coin with this inscription and then try to be inconsistent and a hypocrite in doing so. So now, who am I? Whose inscription is upon me? Well, I do hope that we all realize it has to be Jesus if we are Christians. We must put on a new identity. Identity. We have to change. We talked about being born again yesterday. We are now not those old creatures. That old man is dead. We have put on a new identity. Now, that identity has certain identifiers. Notice in Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And hold your place there in Colossians when we finish this verse. We'll come back to this in just a moment. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 10. And verse 11. There are things that must take place if we're going to put on this new identity. We cannot come into the kingdom of God as we were or as we desire to be. We talked about this morning. It's not our will but God's will that must be done. Notice these states when you know he talks about putting off things just to get the context there in verse number 8 for example put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy filthy communication out of your mouth lie, uh, lie not one to another seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds but now watch in verse 10 and I put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after The image, by the way, that's the same word that Jesus Christ used with the Herodians, this image and superscription. But now we have put on the image of him that created him. Note now, we have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, that new man. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all in all. That is who we have put on. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither black nor white. There's neither male nor female. There's neither subservant or master. There's none of We have all put on this new man. And I'm here to tell you guys, we need to stop these subdivisions or sub-identities as the world does. (laughs) You see, you know, when you look from a biblical standpoint, what were the racial distinctions or ethnic distinctions uh, in the Bible? Well, from a Bible standpoint, remember, it wasn't based on the color of our skin or the color of their skin. People was either Jew or Gentile. And even more specifically had to deal with what geographical area they were from. (coughs) See, we do that different now though. See, we do that different. (laughs) We we allow the world to tell us that there's black churches and, and, and white churches of Christ and black churches of Christ. And we oftentimes base the things that we believe and practice upon what church of Christ we're from. There's neither Jew nor Greek. None of these things are right. We have put on a new identity. As a matter of fact, when you go to the Galatian epistle, the Apostle Paul tells us tells us about identity. We talked about these verses uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And then notice that Paul would tell the Galatians, this, this church that was trying to implement things that God has not commanded, in Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28, Paul says, For as many of you as have been baptized... In to Christ have put on Christ. And he really reiterates what we find uh, in the previous verses. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then ye Abraham seed and heirs according to the promise. So we have a new identity that we put on. We don't think like that old man does, we don't act like that old man does. We don't we don't live like that old man does. We have put on the image of Christ and we are to act accordingly. That's christ the Christianity. There must first be the death of our identity. We have to die. Look at Romans chapter 6. Now oftentimes when we go to Romans chapter 6, we are referring to the essentiality of baptism because of what the world and the religious world has implemented and said about the unnecessity of baptism. In other words, the world says baptism is not essential. So when we find places in the Bible that speak of baptism, we often approach those verses within that context. In other words, we are proving to others how essential baptism is as far as the act of baptism is concerned and I'm not telling you there's no validity to that but as Christians we must be able to apply that when needed but still retain the original context understanding and meaning of those passages for example Romans 6 is not speaking of the essentiality as far as the act of baptism because guess what I believe New Testament Christians understood the necessity of baptism I don't believe that was an issue with them and so we see in Romans 6 now what is Paul talking about yes he's talking about the necessity of baptism but is it as far as the act of baptism is concerned or what baptism ought to mean to us as being necessary for an understanding now notice what he says in verse 1 what should we say then Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound And here's our context right then God forbid God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer then so why is baptism necessary to die to sin It's necessary to that. Every single act of obedience we find required by the gospel is necessary to becoming a child of God. I present to you, I think repentance is the most difficult. That's just my estimation. Okay. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, we're crucified with Jesus in baptism. We're buried with Jesus in baptism. And we're raised to walk in newness of life. That old man has been crucified. That old man has been put to death. In other words, I am now a new creature in Christ as we looked at yesterday. Those old things, those old ways, that old man, those old habits are put away from us. They're gone. And, brother, we got to be careful about boasting in those old ways as well. You know, Paul related uh, his past. But have you ever noticed that Paul was relating his past to show who he is now or presently? He wasn't boasting in those things. He said, hey, we all can be guilty. I'm going to raise my hand sometimes. I always like to tell people now, you know, back in the day, I ain't play. And my wife would tell you, no, no, Harold didn't play. No, he was pretty known as one of those guys, you know. But when I'm relating that, should I be related to, yeah, I don't play now either. Yeah. Or, you know, I used to be like that then, but the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ is what I try to represent and display now. Uh, like, like Paul did. You know, Paul didn't play either, by the way. I don't know if y'all knew that. <laughs> but Paul would take anything for his brethren for his Lord after he was converted to Christ. So we have to be careful about that. The old man is put away. So what is the what is the, 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 the point of Romans 6? Well, the point of Romans 6 goes back to verse number uh, 7 as well. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Jesus Christ or Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, died no more, death hath no dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, here it is, Reckon. Ye also yourselves, to be deed indeed to sin, or dead rather indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, you don't live in sin because you have been baptized into Christ, because you have died with Christ, you've been buried with Christ, and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. That's the point of Romans 6. You don't sin that grace may abound. You see, we've died to sin. Notice what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, turning back to the Colossian epistle. Told you to hold your place there. See, it's no longer us. We have a new identity now. In Colossians 3, in verse number 1, again, note the words of this beloved apostle, our brother Paul. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now, it all rests on the if here. If you have been risen with Christ, well, how do I know that? Well, look at chapter 2 and verse number 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without ends, and putting out the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now watch this, watch this. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who is raised him from the dead. Now, if you have done that, if you have believed that, that goes back to verse 1. If then ye be risen with Christ, having done those things seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God set your affection on things above not on things on the earth for ye are dead you talking about me? yeah you you're dead and your life is hid concealed not at the forefront not in front of, no, you are dead and your life is here with Christ in God, who when Christ, is, uh, when Christ rather, who is our life shall appear, then we shall also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, in order affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You put those things to death and you bring other things to life. We have a new identity now. We are no longer, our set. we are here. We belong to Him. Our life is His. It's not about us. It's about Him. Everything we do is about Him. Everything we say is about Him. Everything we think is about Him. We must first put ourselves to death. You know, when we look at Luke 23 and verse 38 and John 19 and verse 21, we see that Jesus tells us this. You know, Again, it's no longer this identity that we... It's, it's Him. It's all about Him. You see, our new identity is evident by our new way of thinking. Do you know the things that we do begin here in the heart? The things that we say begin here in the heart. The righteousness we do begins here in the heart and the sin that we do begins here in the heart. In other words, we have to have a new way of thinking See, you can't become a new creature in Christ without having a new way of thinking. And even if you do things differently, and you are saying, well, you know, I really don't change, I'm just doing this for... You. God knows that. Now, we may not know, but God knows. So whatever we do, it, is, it begins here by how we think. Of course, Paul says in Romans 12, in verse number 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies... Of God, I plead with you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, even my body is now an offering to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed how? Well, by the modification of my actions. By the adjusting and adaptation of the things that I used to do. I'll just kind of tweak it a little bit. No. No. Uh-uh, uh uh-uh, uh. By the renewing of your mind. That's how you that's how you change. See, that's how you change. This new image is spiritually based and is according again to our new mind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 48 and 49, this As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. In other words, those bodies that we have and possess, even as Christians, it's going to die, it's going to turn back to dust. But that spirit that has been renewed in Christ Jesus, that soul that we possess, which is our most prized possession, We'll go back and be with our God if we have been faithful. You see, Romans 8 is talking about this, this struggle, the this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul says about this struggle is there are limitations. There are things that are identifiers for us, things that we cannot do. Uh, uh, even if we think they can do, it, it is impossible for us to do. Notice in Romans chapter 8, and I won't read the whole chapter, but I encourage you to do that. For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Now watch this, neither indeed can be. Oh, well, yeah, Brother Harold, I see that, but I found a way. I think I can make it work. No, 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 you may think you can. That carnal mind cannot. Notice the emphatic nature of Paul's instruction. It cannot, cannot be subject to the law of God. So, then they that are in the flesh, not walking according to the Spirit, cannot please God. It's essential. It's necessary. Now, notice in Second Corinthians chapter three, verses sixteen through chapter four and verse number one. Now, I just want to emphasize some of the verses. We not, may not necessarily read all. Now, watch this. Nevertheless, as one turns to the Lord, My battery went dead there. As one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an unveiled face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Remember, that's that that same word that we looked at in Mark uh, chapter 12. Same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then as we go down it says, It yielded to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. You see, if we don't do what God commands us to do, we are blind. We are being fooled. We are being hoodwinked into believing that we can retain that old image, that old way of thinking, that old man. And please, God, now no, see, you're being fooled. You're being deceived. You're being told a billion lies. And, and and we, we, you know, God wants us to know this now. Now, not only must we have a new identity, there we say we must have, based upon this new identity, this new way of thinking, a Christ-centered view of the world. Now, we had an old way that we viewed the world. We viewed the world as acceptable. We viewed the world as promising. We viewed the world as profitable. But now, with this new way of thinking, this new image, we view the world the way Christ viewed the world. Now, the question naturally comes from that, how did Christ view the world? That's the necessary question. That's what comes as a result of this. So we must view the world the way he did. Now, the first thing we know is he understood the world. Christ understood the world. turn with me to 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19. Christ understood the world, we must have an understanding of the world. Guys, we cannot enter into this life, this new life, being born again, ignorant and uninformed. No, I didn't say stupid. I said ignorant. See, ignorant means without knowledge. We all are ignorant of something. We all most often, or really probably realistically speaking, are ignorant of a lot of things. That means we don't have the knowledge of whatever that thing is. But now stupid is when you get given the information, then you reject that anyway. Now that's stupid. That's foolish. That's not smart. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19, the Bible says and tells us, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness see we have to know this Christ understood the world we have to understand the world that the world is not of God notice in 1st John while we're still in the same epistle in verse uh, chapter 2 verses 15 and verse number uh, uh, 16 we look at this again the other day love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We have to understand that. And that means we can't go around justifying these things. Giving excuses or even reasons why these things are practiced. In a legitimate form or fashion. No, these things are contrary to God. And we have to accept that. We have to know the difference between what is the world and what is the kingdom. What is spiritual, what is worldly. We have to know this. And that can only be done by, of course, the knowledge of God and our study of it. We, or he rather, was not a part of the world notice in John chapter 17 verses 14 through 17 another thing that we have to know is that our Lord was not a part of the world if we're going to have the same view of the world that he did in John chapter 17 verses 14 through verse number 17 our Lord in the true Lord's prayer is saying this to the apostles uh, praying to the Father but saying this about the apostles I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as i am not of the world i pray not that thou should take them out of the world but thou shouldest keep them from the evil they are not of the world even as i am not of the world Sanctify them. Set them apart from what? From the world. Now watch this. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. How are we separated from the world? It's by the word. That which sanctifies us, sets us apart. That's the idea from the world, is the word of God. Of course, Christ would say, I have sanctified myself for their sakes. How was he sanctified? By the obedience of Christ to his father. So, how are we set apart from the world? Well, it's by the word. Well, I don't have the word. Well, you're not set apart from the world. The minute we start denying the word and doing what we want to do, we don't care to learn the word, we don't care to live the word, we don't care to fly the word, and then we sit in an assembly such as this, all holy and righteous, I'm here to tell you, you're nothing but the world that then came in the door. But please know, God knows. God knows. Now, y'all know we can bring something from the world in here. We could actually, if we open up those doors, bring a car in here. Now, is that car part of this assembly? No. It's a product of the world. We can bring worldly beliefs, world practices, worldly ways of thinking in this. But you know what? We are still of the world. We have to be sanctified by the truth. And notice the truth. Look at the definite article there. The truth, not our truth. Not my truth, not your truth, but the truth. And the word. Is truth. What word? God's word. And unless we are sanctified by that. We are a part of this world. We are in this world. Whether we want to believe it or not. See we have to view the world the way Christ did. He wasn't a part of this world. He was in this world. But he was not of this world. You see we cannot be a friend. Of it. Or to it. In James chapter 4 and verse number 4, note what James tells us about this being a friend to the world. A friend to the world. In James chapter 4 and verse number 4, again, we're familiar with the verse. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now note the, the, the power of the language there. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is, is the enemy of God. Well, what's in the world? We've already noted that. God's this world system, this world, uh, how everyone's way of thinking, all these various things. And see, there's a difference in the world like we said in the kingdom. We can know which one is which. Okay, So now if we're a friend to the world, we've adopted the world's ways, the world's way of thinking, uh, the world's practices, whatever the case, when we do those things, we are an enemy of God. Now understand, James, I believe this is a general epistle and James is talking to Christians. But see, I thought we stopped being an enemy of God when we were reconciled to God by Jesus Christ Paul says in Romans chapter 5 well that may be true but James is saying here well if you're a friend of the world please know that you're an enemy of God well I thought I was made a a, a friend of God through Jesus Christ well obviously James is talking about those who perhaps have discounted that see the world seems so appealing doesn't it always so appealing but who's it appealing to what is it appealing to well it's appealing to the flesh that's why we have to live in the spirit We have to live contrary to what the world says. And if we're not careful, we can adopt the practices and ways of thinking and the ideology, the philosophy, all those things that the world presents to us, and we may not even realize it if we're not in the word. We must accept, accept its action to us. Notice in 1 James chapter 15 and verse number 18 through 19, a reaction, better stated. We have to accept this reaction to us. How many people here like to be hated? Now, I don't like to be hated. I understand that it's a necessary process if I'm going to follow Jesus, but I don't like it. I don't like to be hated and despised and and reviled. But if I'm going to serve my Lord, I have to accept that. Okay? Jesus says this. Now, I want you to think... Of what happens when the world hates us. When the world hates us. If the world hates you. You know. That it hated me. Before it hated you. Now he's talking to the apostles here. But I have no verse. No series of verses that tells me. That this is not applicable to us. If it uh, it hated you. If you were of the world. The world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Guys, if the world hates us, we're in good company. We are in wonderful company. And do we expect, remember Jesus Christ, we're going to say in Matthew chapter 8, another other the servant is not greater than, than his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, when I look at John 15, what do I need to do? How? Now, he's talking to the apostles. And so, how do I relate that to me? How can I understand that in my context, in my life? Well, I have, based upon the blessings of God, the ability to go and to see what the apostles said what the apostles did, how the apostles lived, how the apostles obeyed Christ, and I can emulate that, again, beginning with the example of my Lord. They followed in His footsteps. I can go and I can look at these men, and I can see how they were hated by the world, and you know what I need to do? You know what I need to say? Well, they're going to hate me too, because I'm going to do just what they did the way they commanded us to be done, before it to be done. And I know that when I do that, the world. Old friends, co-workers, bosses, <laughs> brethren are gonna hate me. Not all brethren, but those brethren that are in the world. Remember, just because we talked about it, just because you're here, don't mean you're here. Just because brothers say we're brother, just because they were baptized one time, don't mean that they're not gonna hate you because understand, brethren think worldly too. And so what we have to do is realize that the same reaction Jesus had, we're going to have as well. Now, 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 Christ-centered Christianity tells us that as a reality of that, I'm going to stick with the Word. I'm going to preach the Word. I'm not going to worry about the Word being receptive to men. Yes, I'm going to be wise as I proclaim the Word. But I'm not going to alter the Word or change the Word because, uh, so that the world may accept My word. Because when I change it, it ceases to be God's word, it becomes my word. And people may accept your word. See, when I go out and I preach the gospel, Brother Brian, we're not going to change the methods and modes to be more appealing to men and more appealing to the world. We're not going to go out in the backyard and build a playground or a softball field or a gymnasium so that the world can feel like they have the full experience of life here in this congregation. Now, they are experiencing the life here. But now, if you want to do that, God, i tell you nothing about you. you. can't take your family out and play basketball. We talk about that more Monday night we're not going to adopt those things. We're not going to get preachers that are so smooth and tickle the ears and don't ever say anything to make anybody mad. That's not the guy we want. See, if, if this congregation... Now, and I don't mean this in a braggadocious way, but, 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 but I'm kind of loud. I can be direct. Now, other brethren that don't have a volume, I have, and they're just as direct as me. See, I can appreciate the way any gospel preacher preaches when they're preaching the word. Their style may not be my style, their method may not be my method, but what they preach is going to be the same way I preach. But see, a lot of congregations and a lot of people don't accept that because they're worldly. They don't accept the different ways. It's only this way that is acceptable. That has been bred by uh, coll- Oh, sl- I'm, I'm sorry, seminary. But anyway, y'all didn't get that one good. Certain, anyway, so you have to be trained. You you you, you have to be uh, uh, groomed. That's a bunch of foolishness. Paul's speech was contemptible. You got a bunch of fishermen. Yes, you have a very educated person. I mean, Apollos was eloquent. Paul was not. I know when we read Paul's epistles, it seems like, whoa, wow. But guys, Paul was known or or described as being crude in speech. But all the education, now again, you're talking about Peter, James, and John, these are fishermen. Okay, but you know what, when they spoke... People knew that they were with Je- uh, Jesus because they saw their boldness. That's how they knew they had been with Jesus. So we have to expect. We have to expect it. Don't think it's not going to apply to you if you live in this world. You will suffer persecution, Paul says. People are going to hate you. The world is going to hate you. And guys, if we're not willing to be hated, we need to examine the love of our God, which has been shed abroad through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to go back and look at that again and see to whom we are committed and who we are dedicated to. We must be ready to depart from it. In John chapter 12 and verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Guys, we cannot be self-preserving. We must commit ourselves totally to Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 1, 21 through 25, For to me, now remember, Paul had an endearing love for the church at Philippi. Uh, That is evident. This church supported Paul uh, from the beginning of the preaching of gospel in Macedonia, he says in chapter 4. But notice what Paul would even say about them. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit. From my labor. Yet what I shall choose. I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart. And be with Christ. Which is far better. Nevertheless. To remain in the flesh. Is more needful for you. And being confident of this. I know that I shall remain. And continue with you all. For your progress. And joy of faith. As a husband, as a father, as a grandfather now, which is, I tell you what, it's just indescribable. I don't know how, you know, I thought I was prepared for being a grandparent, but I wasn't. It's just a, something about it that just, you. you it's a unique club. <laughs> okay? And I can try to explain to you what it means to be in this club, but only until you enter into that club. And I'm not denying, I'm not talking bad about your club. I'm just saying that club is a special thing and there's a certain aspect about the children of your children. Anyway, we all have vested interests for being here, okay? We have our families that we want to make sure is provided for, taken care of. We raise our children properly. We have our wives that we love. The wives have husbands. We all have reasons for being on this earth and in this earth uh, that God has provided for us. Now, of course, most importantly, we're here as vessels for the use of the Lord to help lost souls find their way. To eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. But now, if we lose sight of those purposes, those reasons for being here, and other reasons creep into our hearts. As to why we need to be here. I haven't experienced everything I want to experience in life. I haven't gone everywhere I want to go in life. I haven't accomplished all that I want to accomplish in life. I haven't done this that I want to do. All these various things. I enjoy my life. I enjoy this neighborhood. I enjoy this church. Amen. Amen. I enjoy all. And so really I'm not ready to go Lord. Well I'm here to tell you. You don't have eternal life. If that's your reason. Guys, we ought to be ready to go. And I'm going to tell you one reason why we're not ready to go oftentimes. We're not suffering here enough. See, have you ever had a hard job? For those who've retired, I mean, your job is just hard, it's and it's time to retire. Are you ready to retire? But what if your job has been cushy and easy? And it's time to retire. That's why people kind of extend their retirement. Well, you know, I could retire at 62, but I think I'm going to go ahead and wait till I'm 78. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's just. No, no. See, when we are living as Christians here in this earth, we're ready to leave it. You know, no, no, I'm just saying leave everybody behind. You know, but that's that's probably what we hope to see in there. And, yes, that's why we hope for time to set that foundation and, and bring those up who we love and are dear Okay, that's what, that's what Paul's reason was. For you, I hope to be here. For you, that's why I'm here. That's why God is here. I'm, I'm, I'm caught between the two, but, but it's profitable for you. That's why I want to remain here. Now, once we get outside of that, if we want to be here, we're not working enough. We're not following Jesus enough. No, we need to step up our game a little bit. And get a little more, instead of more love in our life, we probably need to get a little more hatred from other people. God will make us appreciate heaven and desire to be there. 2 Timothy 4, verses 5-8, through and that's exactly what Paul was saying. But watch thou all things, endure the afflictions, do the work of the evangelist. he's telling Timothy. Make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearance. You remember when Paul was in prison the first time, and we find First Timothy being written. Remember, Paul was in prison, of course, at Rome. He had went to Rome in Acts chapter 27, and then he was at Rome in Acts chapter 28, and Paul... You know, you you find a difference in the things that he would write in the first epistle to Timothy. Of course, Paul would even relate the idea to Timothy and Titus that he was going to see him again. Uh, He'd be released. You got that idea Paul. Paul is telling us that. And so there is still work to be done that Paul would fulfill. And of course, when Paul was released, he did. He continued to preach the gospel and, and went in other places. Of course, he even tells the Corinthians he's going to see them again. And so Paul does do those things. But notice the difference in that and this. Look, I'm ready now. The time of my departure is hand. Notice Peter in his last epistle. I will not be negligent to show these things. Peter said, my whole hope is to give you something that you'll be able to remember. Paul says, it's time. Do you find, and you'll see this with each one of God's servants, where their last days are recorded for us. Notice even in the Old Testament, when it came to Moses, when it came to Joshua... You just look at all these different men. Look at Daniel. Look how they acted. Their mindset when they realized they were about to meet their maker. Samuel is another example. There was a peace about them. And with these men there was a peace about them because they had worked for God diligently. And finally... We must have a Christ centered view in the world. Uh, of the world, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, in the world. My apology. Our every thought must be subject to the will of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 7. Paul says every thought is brought into captivity or subject to, uh, to Christ and brought into captivity. Every single thought to the obedience of Christ. That means, guys, that we have to have a Christ centered view while in the world regarding government Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 guys it is I'm going to tell you something some of the things that are going on in our country can make you incensed you know and I do believe that there is a God, there is godly indignation there is righteous indignation we should be anger, angry about sin I really believe that uh, but now it's how we respond to that anger that presents the issue presents the problem. Uh, when we see, I mean, even our Lord went and cleared the temple twice. Righteous indignation. Okay? And we, we all should ha- be angry about sin. Be angry and sin not, Paul says in uh, Ephesians 4 verse 26. But now the things that are going on in this world from a political standpoint, if you allow yourself to be bombarded by that every single day, you will become incensed. It will raise your blood pressure. It probably will take off a few years from your life. What people are doing. To this great and wonderful country that has allowed religious freedom by which the gospel can be propagated this country has i believe that god has used this country like he did rome and many it was used to his will to his advantage the advantage of his cause this but to see what people are doing but you know what no matter what that is We have to be willing to be what? Subject to the higher powers. Those powers that are ordained of God. I don't care if you don't like this president, if you didn't like the past president. The Bible tells us that we have to be subject to the powers of government. Even if we don't like what's being done, long as they're not contrary to God's will. We have to submit to that and be subject. You know, that's not easy to admit and, and, and concede to. But that is the case. If it does not conflict or contradict God's will, we have to be willing to be subject to it. And it doesn't matter. Because no man is perfect. No, no, our president is not the Savior. The last president was not the Savior. The president before that is not the Savior. James Garfield, who was a Christian, who died by assassination, was not the Savior. We have to accept it. Is that not what Christ did? See this coin, this superscription? Yeah, whose is it? Caesar. Well, we're unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And the God of things that are God's. Do what God has ordained. We see that also in our family lives. What about in Matthew 19? What about the idea of marriage? Because understand, and we'll talk about this this evening, this is what I believe Jesus was actually addressing when he was brought to that question. Jesus pointed to marriage. Marriage. Here's what God ordained about marriage. Then they brought another question about divorce. That's not what Jesus Christ... He went to marriage from the beginning. Here's what God said. Here's what it was. Same thing is true in uh, Hebrews 13, 14. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. What about the cultural or societal aspects of Jesus Christ? Realize that we must be subject to Christ in every thought. Look... Romans 1, through 32 not only list how homosexuality came to being. Remember, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They changed the image of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, four-footed beast, and creeping things. They dishonored and, dis, uh, 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 dishonored and disrespected God. They changed the great glory of God, and therefore God gave them up to vile affections. Men with men, women with women, all these various things. But don't you stop there now. Oh no! Don't you stop there. See, we often stop there. See, we can't even be accepting accepting of that. I hear so many brethren. I know they're trying to tote that fine fine line. Oh, they, they you know we got to love love the sin. Hey, hey, but I, I can show you verses when sinners are committing a sin. Love for what? What love? When they're committing that sin. Now, well, we have to be so welcoming. And, and, and you know, be, be willing to... Amen! But guys, be careful. Be careful about being accepting of these ways of life. And they're becoming more and more and more and more prevalent. It is my belief, Brother Brian, that one day, I know it's getting close in the state of Alabama, that... Subjects such as this, probably in more northern states, I know I heard that it's coming from Maryland, that there's going to be more of an intolerance about us preaching about things like Romans chapter 1 when it comes to homosexuality and various things. It's going to be deemed hate speech. What are you going to do? Some states have already tried that, by the way. What are you going to do? Are you going to take your website down because you don't want to hear, see, uh, hear, uh, people to know that that's what you're teaching? Are you going to be careful when you're in the pulpit because you don't want to go to jail? Or are we going to be willing to stand for Jesus Christ? But I'm here to tell you, we emphasize that about homosexuality, but we have not allowed our minds minds, to be that of Christ because when it comes to fornication... Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, that's wrong. But, but you know, no, no, I understand that homosexuality has its own issues. It's against nature. At least those who commit fornication and adultery are acting upon natural impulses. I get that, but it's still sin. When it comes to adultery, well, you know, brother, we need to sit down and and, and, and look at that. Okay, amen, amen, amen. I, I'm not saying we don't need to study it, but all right, now we studied it. So what, do we, you know, what are we accepting here? See, we can be very biased if we're not careful about sin. Because I'm here to tell you, to have the mind of Christ tells us in verse number 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents it's not just homosexuality that Paul is condemning here ah oh, but we'll accept some of those other things covenant breakers well uh, I'm not going to get married but we just, we just got to get a divorce we're just not going to be able to work together ok well as long as you don't get remarried what? where do we get that from? the world and worldly Christians. Again, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Uh, I, I praise you, brethren, keeping keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. But I would not have you ignorant that man is the head of woman. Christ is the head of man. And God is the head of Christ. That hasn't changed. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. The rod of correction talking about discipline. Y'all know I have literally done a lesson on discipline, uh, uh, discipline you know, discipline our children. Of course, discipline is not just corporal punishment. It's instruction more than anything, which includes an example. But I have just gone through verses that talk about corporal punishment for the disobedient or rebellious child and the rod and the rod. I have literally <coughs> had my wife, of the testament had Christian parents come up to me and tell me after those lessons, well, we just don't do that in our home. We, we found a better way. We just don't think that's so necessary anymore in our day. I'm like, what? Children have changed? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm lost here. Well, you know, you can mess around and have the police called on you. Well, you know, you can also mess up and ch- have a child that the police going to come get You see? Well, brother, we're just going to have to dis- agree to disagree. No, you're just wrong. And You're going to answer for that. This is what God said. This is in us. Alright. Then finally guys. And I'm just very briefly. We must have a Christ in way of life. He is the only. He is the only. Way to life. It's. He's the way the truth and life. No other way. No other way. No other means. Nothing. He is it. His way. Is the only. Way. In life. It's the only way to Life. It's the only way in life. And let us end in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, you know, we talked about this verse uh, uh, day before yesterday. But I want us to note what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 about this way in life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through verse number 4. I therefore, I'll tell you what, let me start with the verses preceding that. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to uh, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I, therefore, based upon what I have just stated, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We are all one and on the same, same level and basis. That is the way of life, a life of meekness, a life of humility, a life of love. Loving God who first loved us and loving one another. That really is all that it entails and the commands that are within that. Christ-centered Christianity is not easy, but it is necessary, it is needful, and it is rewarding if we implement it in our lives and follow it and practice it our lord has promised that he will say well done thou good and faithful servant and so we have the hope of eternal life if we live this type of life if you're here today and i hope you have been able to see the great reward the great blessing yes the great difficulty of what it means to be a christian a child of god but it's reward it's reward far exceeds uh, exceed the things that this life presents We would like for you, we're about to sing an invitation song, and we would like for you to seriously consider the condition of your soul. It is the most prized possession you have. It is the most important thing that you have, that you possess. It is that which will dwell eternally. And so what we need to do is make sure that we take care of that, which is most important, before everything else. Yes, your soul is more important than your stomach, your car, Your house, your job, your family, everything. So now, we're about to sing an invitation song. The Bible says that you have to have faith in Christ. That he is the Savior of the world. Actually, I believe the idea of faith in Christ means that you believe everything the Bible says about it. You probably do that. You probably believe that. The Bible says that you need to be willing to repent of all sin. All that is contrary to God's will. That's what we saw in Romans 6. I probably believe you're willing to do that. You see the need to do it. You have to also be willing to confess Christ before men. Now in the first century, that may cost you your life. Here it will cost you your life. But you don't have to die physically in order to confess Christ. You just have to be willing to die spiritually so that you can be born again. And to confess Christ means that you are professing that He is all. He is Lord. And you're willing to follow Him to the point of death. And you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. As like we saw, you are crucified with Christ, you're buried with him, and you are raised to walk in newness of life. So you need to be baptized to wash away all of your past sins. Now I want to I say something here. With the understanding, the knowledge, the anticipation, and the hope that you are now going to be added to the body of Christ, the one church, no other one will do no other one that men has established will be sufficient for you to be in the refuge of God, the hope of God, the blessing of God. No, there is only one church that men can be saved in. I don't care what your preachers told you, your pastor done told you, it does not matter. The Bible says that the church of Christ, and what I mean by that now is the body of Christ, the church of Christ, the church is his body. That's it. Amen. That's what he's going to add. He's not going to add you to no foolishness. And he's not going to you, add you to isolation. Well, I've been a no baptized, so I'm just sitting down and practice my own religion. No. I just believe we can worship God anywhere, anyhow we want to. Wrong answer. You see, it's there you're going to live faithfully all the day of your life with brethren who love you, who are going to encourage you. I see that here. That is so wonderful. The encouragement that are given to people who have decided to obey the gospel. The support that they're giving. Please keep that up. And those brethren who have obeyed the gospel. Perhaps not long ago. Can help you see that yes. This is where you need to be. And this is what you need to do. You live there faithfully all the days of your life. And when you die. Or when the Lord comes back. You will have an eternity of joy unspeakable. But if you don't. You will have an eternity of misery and pain and agony that's unspeakable. Imagine being in a place that is void of God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness. Just imagine being in a place like that where that's where you'll be. Forever. No, it's not going to be a good day coming. Forever. World without end. I just shudder thinking about that. I hope you'll make the right decision today as God has given you opportunity as we stand and as we sing.